Nation, we're going to get right into it here. Season's right at its cusp right now. We have eight games left. Obviously, we're in a pretty good position right now for a lot of different reasons. We unexpectedly dropped several games at home that people penciled in as wins. If you go back to what I had said early on in the season, I had predicted that this team was going to be much better on the road than at home. I went to a lot of games early in the season, and honestly, it's like a Morgan there, and I think it puts pressure on them. And they don't shoot as well in the Dome because it's not a friendly environment. Other teams come in. It's a big stage. They're jacked up. And let's face it, Buffalo, they, they wanted it more than us. Old Dominion in the second half clearly showed they wanted it more than us. So we dug ourselves a huge hole. I think it's ironic that Coach Beheim said the fans have been great all year. I'm not going to get into it on this pod, but I will promise you there will be a pod coming up about the Dome, the atmosphere, the fans, and how things have just – I mean, I was watching, I think it was Indiana, Indiana and Ohio State, okay? Neither team's ranked. It, it would be like Syracuse playing Clemson. Okay, and the atmosphere for Indiana, who ended up losing the game, was just unbelievable. It was a riveting game. The fans were into it. And keep in mind, Indiana is up, is below 500 in, in conference. I think they went into the game 13 and nine. I mean, if we were 13 and nine, you would have 10,000 no shows. Enough said about the fans. We're going to start by looking at what we can do. And what's our best lineup? I think Jim needs to focus on the fact that this year's team, honestly, you have a chance to put five guys on the floor who can all shoot threes. If you go back to two years ago, when he realized that his defense wasn't going to be what he needed it to be, he finally realized and just started to outscore people. And we beat three top ten teams. We shot the ball well, and we beat Florida State, and we beat Duke, and I think we beat Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. We had three top 10 wins. We smoked Florida State in the Dome. We beat Duke on a buzzer beater. And I believe we beat Virginia that, that year. It might have been somebody else. But, it, but the point is there. Early in the season, he didn't know what he had. He did not know what buttons to press. He had the wrong lineup on the floor. He had Andrew White, who couldn't even dribble the ball, as the two. Now, that's why this year I think Hughes is a much better ball handler than Andrew White. But yet he put Andrew White at the two for two months, but he won't put Hughes at the two for two minutes. Makes no sense to me, but whatever. Another thing that's interesting about maybe putting Hughes at the two is simply this. Buddy can't play 30 minutes a game, and Frank it looks like he can't play two minutes a game right now. I mean, last game I think he was one for nine, missing floaters, not getting by people, bricking threes. Just a really ugly, ugly season for Frank. And if this team tanks it down down the stretch, Frank Howard could go down as the first player in Syracuse basketball history to pretty much screw two seasons. You go back to the Andrew White year, okay? Jim was so patient with Frank, and that's what bit us early. He finally could not deal with Frank anymore. He just couldn't deal with him. So he inserted Gillen into the lineup, and that's when we became a tournament team. Unfortunately, 
It was too late. It took him too long. He was too loyal to his sophomore instead of his transfer. And he thought, we, we all thought it. We all thought as a sophomore he was going to get better, and he didn't. He honestly played better as a freshman in the tournament than he did the first two months of his sophomore year. And that, that team played much better when we switched the lineup. Now, the next year, if you look at our junior, his junior season, Frank, he had a good year, but he's the point guard on one of the worst offenses in the history of Syracuse basketball. You look at the stats, and it's, it's not debatable. Our offensive efficiency was not good. We didn't score a lot per game. We didn't score a lot per possession. We were not effective or efficient, and it starts with your point guard. So with all that being said, looking at this year and the lineup that I think could win us the most games, and give us a chance to maybe knock off another top 10 team is to put five guys on the floor who can all shoot the three. I mean, Bursett showed in the tournament last year that he can be a capable three-point shooter. He, he won us, I would say, two games in the tournament by hitting threes. There's no question about it. We don't beat TCU, and we do not beat Arizona State if, if Bursett was throwing up bricks like he's been throwing up for a lot of this season. Now, the stats actually were surprising to, to see that he actually is shooting pretty close to where he was last year. So that's the point. If you got your power forward who can step out and hit some threes with four other guys, now it's not pressure. Not like when Cooney was in the game back in the day and he was the only guy on the, on the floor that could make threes and stretch the defense. When you have multiple shooters on the floor, it makes it easier for each shooter. And that goes to Tyus. With Buddy on the floor, it's going to be easier for Tyus. They are going to be trying to cut off the driving lanes for Tyus. And basically, he's going to be told by coach to drive to get Buddy open. But if they cut off the drive and he gets to Buddy and Buddy's not feeling it, now the offense can reset and you still should have four other players on the floor who can get things done. One of the things I'm looking at with, with the offense, okay, Hughes needs to understand that he's not just a, um, a, a pull-up deep three-point shooter. He needs to take the ball to the hole. He's very effective. Reminds me of Dave Johnson when he goes to the, let, go, goes to the lane. He kind of jumps off two feet, but he always has one foot in front of the other, and, and he glides to the basket. He's got great body control, and that's a big uh, key to finishing inside. You've got to have body control or you've got to have touch. Billy Edlin could finish underneath because he had tremendous touch. He had the floater. He had the scoop shot. He could do it. Scoop Jardine, same thing. When you look at other players who could finish, look at Johnny Flynn. Tremendous body control. Could go in, figure it out in the air, and get it done. Then you look at a player like Paul Harris or Terrence Roberts. No body control and could never get it done inside. Just couldn't do it. And that goes to Brissett. Brissett does not have good body control. He does not know how to draw contact, and it shows. I think this team needs to run. If you have Dolajay as a five, I mean, he, he excels in transition. He, we have not seen the best of Dolajay running the floor. If you go back to when he was overseas, that's what he was known for, a guy who was lengthy, long, and he could just run, and he has great basketball instincts. Going back to the main point here, simple as this. If you can put five guys on the floor to shoot threes, this, this offense should be as good as the offense two, two years ago. When you look at Battle and Bayheim, 
versus um, Gillen in battle, I, I don't think there's a comparison when, when you talk about offense. The only thing that Gillen had, obviously, is he did have pretty good body control and dribble drive penetration. But a lot of times, he was just so little, he just could not get it done. And he was not the athlete that a Johnny Flynn was. But when you look at this year's team, our offensive stats are in, in, in the bottom half of the country. I think we're like 185 in offense. And our defense is top 30. So anybody wants to complain about the zone, just check the stats. Stats don't lie. Some people say the ball doesn't lie. I say stats don't lie. And when I'm looking at these stats this year, I've been looking at team stats and opponent stats for this team since the late 80s. The advanced stats have, have really painted a picture um, even more clear to the people that can break it down and understand it. I'm not going to get into that on this pod, but what we're going to talk about here. Syracuse number one. We rank 274th out of 300 and I believe it's 368 teams. We rank 274th in field goal percentage. 42.5% of our field goals are made. That's a horrible percentage. You say, okay, so well over 50% of our shots are missed. What are we doing with those misses? Well, we're 127th in offensive rebounding, which is low for us. We're normally a top 50 team in offensive rebounding, not getting it done on the offensive glass. Defensive rebounding is always a concern with the zone. We're 206th. Not good. Total rebounding, we're right in the middle of the country at 165. A more concerning stat, we're 254th in the nation in assist. It doesn't get much worse than that for this team, um, especially when you look at field goals. We've actually made we've actually made 596 field goals this year, and we've assisted on 305 assists. It's just not good ball. Um, the defense is right where it needs to be. You know, we're always a top 20 team in blocks. We're 18th. We're usually a top 20 or 30 team in steals. We're 29th. Not much concern there. Turnovers, a little bit high for sure. Uh, we're 108th in the country in turnovers with 309. The the opponents um, were, were for, forcing the 25th most turnovers in the game. So that's kind of a wash. Makes it, it makes it a stat that we can definitely work with. Just o- overall, the um, stats just show that this this team really just is not that good and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be good and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't figure out if they can be good this is a Jekyll and Hyde team I've said it all along and I'm going to say it again it's just one of those things that we just got to get through next thing up is when when you look at the rest of the schedule you know we got a lot of work to do and not a lot of time to do it first thing I want to speak about is pretty simple when you talk about the bubble and you talk about where we currently stand. I mean, everybody knows that we're, we're going to lose more games. But the first thing that we really can't project too well is how are these losses, how are these losses going to translate in terms of where, how far can it drop us? All right, so I just want to explain to some people here. When, when, when you're looking at slots, I mean, there's, there's scenarios where we, you, we could win one or two more games and be in the exact same or better standing than winning three games and having other teams below us really push, push forward and go on a hot streak and beat some top 10 teams and, and pass us. So it's not about just number of wins. It definitely gets more complicated than that. Right now, you look at it, okay? We're we're basically one of the last nine seeds. Okay, so when so what that translates to is you have 
Um, teams like St. John's, NC State, Wolford, Alabama, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Seton Hall, Central Florida, Clemson, Arizona State, Indiana, Temple. These are some of the last slots in the field that'll be in the playing game. Teams like Temple are projected in the playing game. Teams like Indiana, Clemson. Um, that could be a playing game for us, us versus Clemson, if we don't take care of business and steal one at, at home. I'm going to look into later in this pod what's the most games this team has lost at home because we're in jeopardy of breaking that record, and that's not a record you you, you want to you beat. I called it early in the year, and I hate to say it. If we don't take care of business and, and knock off one of these top 20 teams, it's going to be a reality, and that's just not good. So when you look at it, you, we really have nine slots that we'd have to drop, okay? We'd have to drop nine or ten slots to, to fall out of the field and out of the playing game. I mean, we're just as close to, a honestly, a seven seed or a six seed. Um, I mean, I don't think Maryland's much better than us um, or Iowa. I don't think their resumes are either, but th- th- then again, I don't even know what, what, what we're dealing with. When you look at seven seeds, you got teams like Buffalo and Washington, Cincinnati, Mississippi State. Not a big fan of the SEC. I think they're overrated. I think that um, teams like Clemson, teams like NC State would, would beat those teams. So I, I think come tournament time, um, the reason this is a dangerous team, Coach Beheim's been there before, and hopefully he'll be there again. And uh, this team's battle-tested and experienced. And when it comes down to the end of the, end of the season, uh, matching up against the zone, when you haven't seen zone in your conference, is one of the reasons that this team is always a big-time threat. In March, even though we don't get the respect, we get idiots like Seth Davis that predict us to lose to Montana or Montana State. Uh, I don't think that worked out too well for him. Um, getting into the nuts and bolts of it here, you know, some of the teams that we obviously have to root against. Um, you know, one of the best things that we have going for us is our road record, but but teams that we're going to have to just just root against is our our boy Mike Hopkins in Washington. And if you're a Syracuse fan, you don't root for Washington. I don't care about your love affair for Mike Hopkins. I met him, great guy. I highly respect him. I I, I know based on talking to him on the air and in person, he he respected my basketball knowledge. One of the interesting thing is is the new net rankings, which everybody should know by now, it, unless you're living under a rock, it's replaced the RPI. It's a better indicator, but the numbers are not good for Syracuse. We're, we're ranked 50th. Um, some teams below us just are right on that cusp of the bubble. Um, so when you, if you're to look at the bracketology projections versus the net rankings, to be quite honest with you, I, I think we're in a little bit better spot with bracketology than we are with the net because teams right below us, Indiana's right on that cusp line of, of being out. Temple, as I mentioned, Minnesota's out right now. Uh, Creighton's out. Seton Hall, I think, is in. Um, these are the, these are some of the teams uh, of note just behind us in, in the uh, mid to upper 50s to low 60s. Um, there's, you know, a, a team like Penn State is at 70. They got two or three actually quality wins this year. Um, that could match us, but when that just shows you college basketball. I mean, they're nine and fifteen overall, Penn State. But it, but if if you look at their record, they they got at least three. I believe they have two top twenty five wins. Um, but teams like that, 
that's where you can draw that line. I mean, when, when you're talking about a team that's in the top 70 and they're 9-15, and 15, um, that's where that line gets cut. I, when I look at the line, it probably is going to get cut with teams just having no no chance of making the tournament or teams that are going to pull their own at-large like Belmont, Murray State. Um, I would draw it right at Oregon or Arkansas. They're 66 and 67, and um, they're not making the tournament. Although Arkansas is 14 and 10 and Oregon's 15 and 9. Um, the interesting thing about Syracuse um, in their profiles, they're, they're, they're 5 and 2 on the road. So they got two losses in seven games. Um, I'm going to say that's probably one of the top seven road records in the country. We were in the top three. Um, if, if you skip past the Gonzagas, the Dukes, the Virginias, the Tennessees, Houston, Kentucky, and, and you look at uh, teams from seven down, okay? Michigan State's got three losses at home or on the road. Um, Michigan's got three. Uh, Carolina's another team with only one loss. But as you scroll down, uh, most of the teams have three, four, or five losses with the exception of teams like Nevada, Carolina, and Houston. Um, teams that are safely in right now, like Wisconsin, they got four losses on the road. Louisville's got three. Uh, I mean, here's a here's a real head scratcher. Kansas is two and six on the road, so they're nineteen and six. They're undefeated at home right now. They're safely in, but with the starters that they have out, that could be a slot. They could end up in an eight nine game very easily. Um, but most most teams are either five and three, five and two. Um, Mar- Marquette's only played seven games on the road, so that's a little bit that's a little bit concerning for for what they must have to finish off with. Um, teams like that are starting to when you start to look at the bubble. Teams like Washington already have three losses on the road as well. NC State has four. Uh, Old Miss has three. TCU is two and five on the road. It just so just looking at it, the the road profile is is really what's helping us. But now this goes to my next point. We are 0-2 in neutral sites. We're 5-2 on the road. And at home, we're 12-4. I mean, we have four losses at home. Uh, the only teams close to us with, with that many losses at home, you got Ohio State has five. Oklahoma has four. Florida has four. Um, Nebraska also has four home losses. Ohio State, I can't believe they have five losses at home. Texas also has five at home. Um, and Baylor has four losses at home. But, uh, you know, that's scrolling through about 50 teams. Most teams that I'm looking at in the top 30, 40, even 50 in the country have 0, 1, 2, or 3 losses. Um, I would be looking at about 15% of the, of, the, of those teams have more than 3 losses at home. And we could be at 6 very easily. I mean, that's that goes without saying. So we got a lot of work to do and not a lot of time to do it. And nothing's going to be given to us. We got to go out there and earn it. And... I don't know about you guys, but for for me, I have no idea what to expect game to game. They are definitely consistently inconsistent, and there's no other way to say it. Um, let's kind of break down a little bit the matchups that that we're going to be f- facing. Um, when you look at a team like Louisville, you know what what comes to mind with them is their depth. They have multiple guys who are going to put pressure on the ball. Um, that's their bread and butter. They actually the uh, people trying to figure out, you know, how did they get a 23-point lead on Duke? It was very simple. Dribble drive penetration. Duke Duke is susceptible to dribble dribble drive penetration, and Louisville had multiple guys doing that. Attacking, breaking down the defense, making the help come, and then either dumping it inside for, for a dunk or a layup or kicking it out for very um, 
high percentage threes. So when you look at all that, that's kind of how they got the big lead. And then Duke Duke changed the game because they changed their defense. They started pressing, which eliminated a lot of the dribble drive penetration. It caused a lot of turnovers. And the next thing you know, the, the, the game was flipped because they fixed their defense and that defense turned into offense. That offense turned into confidence and then when they were in the half court set they were just feeling it and that's I mean we've we've seen us do that but we don't do it nearly enough and we don't do it nearly as long and when we have guys like Braswell why aren't we using him more I mean he comes in the game he makes three steals and what does he get rewarded with a donut Beheim gives him a donut in the second half I mean it's just it's ridiculous Uh, the substitution patterns uh, patterns are so piss poor and it's not all coach's fault because he's he is trying to push some of the right buttons and nothing seems to be working. Another good thing I look at is you know everybody can look at the schedule and strength of schedule, strength of record, all these different stats. But let's let's just really dissect and take out the the garbage games this year. Um, anybody that's not in the top, we're going to say one fifty. We're just going to erase. So. Um, if we erase Eastern Washington, Moorhead State, Colgate, Cornell, Arkansas State, we'll leave in St. Bonaventure at 139. Um, and basically everybody since St. Bonaventure on 1229 has been in the top, uh, actually in the top 111 or better. So obviously since then, um, we've, we've played a good schedule. But let's just look at from the beginning of the year uh, on November 6th up until that uh, same Bonaventure game. So you had 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games. Out of those 13 games, you basically had, you had 3, 4, 5. You had 5 out of those 13 were... 160 or worse. You had a 159, a 259, a 262, a 226, and a 267 opponents. I mean, that is Cupcake City. It's not good for our um, numbers. And obviously, we 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 had taken care of business against all those teams. We beat Eastern Washington, Moorhead State. We obviously beat Colgate and Cornell, um, barely. Cornell was a joke, and so was Colgate. Um, Arkansas State, 267 handed them a 30-point loss, but big deal. Um, I mean, that is the nuts and bolts of it. And then let's just look at the the teams we lost to. Oregon is 48th, uh, Connecticut's 84th, which isn't as bad as some some people thought. Some people thought this would be a a sub-100 team, and I I told them I, I didn't see that on the floor. And it stands to to reason that they're not. I mean, they they played a top 15 team in Houston and they lost by single digits in their last game without their best player. So I think I was pretty spot on with with, with that call in terms of Connecticut. And I hate Connecticut. I I wouldn't want them to win any games if it was up to... If it was up to me, but the way Syracuse always loses to them, you almost got to root for them, which is just so annoying because we don't take care of our own business and we got to dissect all this nonsense and waste time on a pod when we should be talking about double buys, we should be talking about positioning ourselves for a tournament and um, getting our uh, pod in, in the East. But instead, we're, we're worried about sneaking in the tournament. I mean, this, this season is just, it's extremely frustrating. 
There's no question about it. But let's just look at this again. So we lost to the 84th team, 48th. We beat the 35th in Ohio State. We beat Georgetown at 71. We beat Northeastern at 91. We lost to Buffalo, who was 26. I mean, so really, we actually have a lot of top 100 games. In fact, we only have, let's see, we only had all season, we had three, the worst team we played was Arkansas State, Moorhead State, Eastern Washington, Cornell, Colgate, St. Bonaventure. So non-conference, three, six, six garbage games in non-conference. In conference, we also had Boston College. It would be nice to see Boston College finish strong because they're at 111. If they could sneak into the top 100, that will actually help us. Old Dominion's 109, and Georgia Tech is right on the cusp at top 100. So we need, we have to root for Georgia Tech and Boston College. That's what the season has come down to. And it, it, I mean, basically, we swept Pittsburgh, which is a top, they're 86. Connecticut's 84, which we lost to. So the best team we played all year was Duke, and we won that game. And that and the second best team was Virginia Tech. We lost. That they were 13. So against the top 25 in the net rankings, we're one and three. And then you go Buffalo one and four. Clemson, this this Clemson win has actually turned out to be a good win. They're 31st. So that gives us right there two wins out of the top the toughest six games. Beating Duke and Clemson, losing to Buffalo, NC State, Florida State, and Virginia Tech, and Ohio State. So that gives us three wins in the hardest seven games. That's actually not bad at all. Then, then the next grouping, starting with Oregon, loss, Miami win, Georgetown win, Notre Dame win. So there's three out of four there. Connecticut lost three out of five. Pittsburgh, next toughest opponent, four for six. Pittsburgh, we played them again, so it's five for seven. Northeastern, six out of eight. And then, of course, instead of finishing strong at seven out of um, seven out of ten, we lose to Georgia Tech and Old Dominion. So th that, that dropped us right back down um, to six out of ten in that category. Um, and then we don't have any really bad losses. Our worst loss right now is Old Dominion at 109. And it would be nice to see St. Bonaventure finish strong, but they're at 139. Not going to happen. I mean, but if you, I mean, if you just look at it, you, you take away some of these garbage games in the in in the in the games that are like, let's say top 150. We're pretty much barely above 500. I mean, literally, barely above 500. I mean, basically, it's real simple. Take take three, four. Five, take six wins away and do the math. Boy, six garbage cupcakes and you're 11 and eight. Go a little bit further than that. And if you take away teams like, let's keep in Boston College. Let's find keep in Pittsburgh. So there's two wins against BC, two wins against Pittsburgh. So that's four wins. We'll keep those. Keep Miami. Um, yeah, we would be 11 and eight. Um, in, unless you take away St. Bonaventure, and then and then we'd be ten and eight against real teams. Ten and eight against teams that are worth anything in the top one forty. I mean, it's not good. We'd have ten wins. So our top ten wins, just to break this down one one more freaking time.
You want your 10 best wins? Here they are. You got Ohio State and Duke. Third would be Georgetown. I would put Northeastern in the top six. You also would have Notre Dame. Clemson's in that top six. Miami. Like I said, BC twice. Pittsburgh twice. And that's it. Those are your good wins. Those are your those are your good wins. So I know some 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 teams are even worse just in terms of more bad losses and less top 100 wins and and that's what we're going to hang our hat on. But if you break it down the rest of the way, simple. Louisville 16th, Duke is second, Carolina their eighth. You you got another sub 150 team in Wake Forest. And if it lose, and if you lose, it's devastating. It is on the road, but if if you lose, it's a quad three or quad four loss, and we just won't be able to recover from it unless you can beat Duke or Virginia or Carolina or Louisville. Now, the one thing I do want to say is every one of these teams, with the exception of Duke, has has played a garbage team, a sub one hundred and fifty team, and. That team has at least competed with them. Um, Duke, just for one half against, I think it was Boston College, was down at the half. Um, Carolina, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I know they got waxed by Louisville, and then they waxed Louisville, but there was another team that was not that good that beat them, or almost beat them, I should say. Uh, Notre Dame only lost to them by six. Everybody else, they pretty much smoked. They they smoked NC State. They oh Miami, that was a team I was thinking. Of. Miami only lost by three, and Notre Dame only lost to them by six. So they can have their games depending on the matchup and the defense. The the one thing I look at with Miami, they played decent defense, and they played them twice, and they lost to them by nine at Miami, and then they went back home and only lost to them by three. So, Carolina could be a game that could be competitive. It's a 9 o'clock game. Um, I, I I would still look probably at Louisville as, as the game that, you know, they, they got a week to prep. It's a home game, and you're not playing Duke, and you're not playing Virginia, and you're not playing Carolina. You're, you're, you're playing a team that was picked 12th in the league, um, but they've been competing with teams all year. But they are beatable. I mean, you look at Louisville's losses this year. They, uh, like I said, they they got smoked by Carolina and they smoked Carolina. So this is a Jekyll and Hyde team, just like Syracuse. Um, this this could actually be the game of the year. The, the more we break it down, this could be the game of the year. I mean, Indiana just lost by like thirty to a crappy uh, Minnesota team, and Indiana beat Louisville. So everybody thinks Syracuse is the only team that loses to garbage teams, and that's not the case. I mean, Louisville's a top six seed in in the big dance, and they they actually have some great losses that most teams in the country will lose to. Tennessee, Marquette, uh, and Kentucky. But Louisville lost to Pittsburgh, so that's a, that. That was another point that I was trying to get to earlier. Is even though these top twenty teams are going to be difficult, they are beatable. 
I, I don't, with the exception of Duke, I, I, I don't see a big level separation. I, I mean, Virginia is tough because when they execute and they make shots, they're very hard to beat. But if they're missing shots and they're playing slow-paced, obviously a slow-paced game, you shoot the ball well, you don't turn it over, and you could be in that game. Well, the way I'm looking at the rest of the season, until we cannot win three more games, we are not out of it. So let's just say, let's just say we lose some of these games that are are, are going to be difficult. But let's say we we drop Louisville, and then we drop Duke, and then you go on the road to Carolina which is just as tough as Duke when you got Duke at home versus Carolina on the road. If you lose your next three games, you absolutely have to beat Wake Forest. And then you look at Virginia, Clemson, and that first-round game in the ACC, and you just got to win two out of those three. You don't even have to beat Virginia. If they beat Wake Forest, Clemson, and win one in Charlotte, they're in. So that's the simplest way you want to look at it. Now that's not that's not the way people are going to look at it. I know that if we lose the next three games, people are going to think that we can't beat anybody. Like they're they're going to think that this is the worst team in fifty years and blah 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 blah. I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm going to sit there and say those are tough te- th- tough teams. We we are not showing that we're on that level. And unlike Coach Beheim, who says he'd rather lose um, by by ten than two, I I could not agree with that. I mean. Yes, you don't want to lose by one possession, and I understand that, but I would rather that we competed against some of these teams and lost close games than getting smoked and getting our asses handed to us like we've been doing. So great great job there, Coach. Uh, another stupid comment that doesn't make sense and that most people wouldn't agree with, and, and the people that are that agree with that, well, I wouldn't want to sit with them and have a cup of coffee because they're clueless. They, I mean, I don't even think Coach Beheim drinks coffee. He's he's probably doing his yoga in the morning for all I know. Um, and, and he's probably uh, having his clothes laid out on the bed and, and he has Julie pick, pick him out every day. And then he probably um, goes to his office and puts on sports radio. And who, who the heck knows else what else he does. But... He, he he better start putting in some some, some more grind work do, look, looking at some more tape um actually forcing his players to read the scouting reports people forget i know for a fact the uh game preparation for these games and the team meetings they leave a lot to be desired they are too busy eating chicken wings and tully's tenders and uh worried about finding extra napkins than than breaking down the uh, game tape and then half of them leave a damn scouting report in the meeting room and they don't even bring it with them. And that's why they don't know their personnel and and, and that's why they give up threes. I mean, a couple of these couple of these games that we've gotten smoked in, even in-game adjustments with the players. Don't even talk about the coaches. If a guy's hitting four four threes in your face, you think you might want to guard him and 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 get physical with him and make it so he doesn't hit seven threes like Justin Robinson. I mean, NC State, same thing. You know, one guy's hitting all the threes, and we just we just couldn't get out on him. Beverly, it's it's just not good defense.
I'm going to finish off the pod just breaking down the day's actions. Um, a lot of games have been going on. Obviously, it's a Saturday. Everybody and their brother's playing. Um, Washington State's beating Washington. Um, that's great. I hope Washington loses. Um, as much as I like Mike, we need him to lose. So I already talked about that earlier. I'll say it again. They are um, a, a team we need to root against. You break it down a little bit further than that, just in terms of looking at some of these other but the other, some of the other bubble action. Um, Nebraska's playing Northwestern right now. Nebraska's a bubble team. You you go a little bit deeper into the um, earlier action in today. Iowa State is not necessarily a bubble team. They're in the top twenty five, but but their resume is not that good. Um, they had a big win today against Kansas State, so that's another team that, if they had dropped three out of four, might might have went in into that scenario. Now they're they're a lock. Um, LSU's a lock. They won today. Um, Iowa's a pretty much a lock. It would have been nice to see Rutgers beat them. Uh, didn't happen. Oklahoma's a bubble team, and they probably are a little bit below TCU, and they beat TCU, so that's actually a uh, strong win for Oklahoma, who's a bubble team. That's not good for Syracuse. They won today. Texas, another bubble team. They won today. Florida, another bubble team. They won today. Um, Luckily, Old Dominion beat Charlotte. That's good for Syracuse. Uh, Providence lost. That's good for Q's. Uh, When you're rooting for this bubblicious nonsense that we have to worry about year in and year out. Uh, Look a little bit further. Colgate beat American by 20. How bad must American be? Uh, that's good for Syracuse's strength, strength of record and strength of schedule. BCU's going to win their conference. Uh, they won by 10. Let's see what else we got here that was of, a, of any interest here. There was at least three more games. Man, there's like 150 games today. Oh, Temple. Temple was the team that it was definitely on the bubble. They're probably projected somewhere give or take four four slots in the playing game, and they won against a garbage South Florida team in overtime. Not good. Um, so the bubble didn't do us many favors today. Maybe a couple games, two two or three went our way. I'd say five or six went the other way. Um, tomorrow there's not a lot of action, even though even though football's over. Used to see a lot more games on Sunday. Um Looking at Sunday's action, it would be nice to see Ohio State beat Michigan State. That's a big game. Um, Villanova-St. John's, we're rooting for Villanova-St. John's. Um, They've kind of fallen apart after they were ranked. They've lost, I think, six out of nine. They're they're right around Syracuse's range. We need them to lose. Uh, St. Bonaventure, we need them to beat George Mason tomorrow. We need Creighton to beat Seton Hall. Uh, Maybe Caleb Joseph will have, have a good game his one good game a month that he has. Miami and Boston College. Here's the interesting thing. We only played Miami once. And we played BC twice. So you really want BC to win at home and maybe strengthen that r- ranking up and maybe sneak into that top 100. And that's and that's really it. So I'm going to wrap this pot up and just say a couple, couple quick big picture type topics here and get out of here. College basketball is crazy. Tennessee's number one in the country. They were down by 26. They've 
and now and they've they've cut it to twelve. We we saw Duke this week, who is the real number one, and and they were down by twenty. So within the same game, you you can see completely different results by the same two teams. So having said that, obviously we can see different results from 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 our team. Nothing would surprise me. I would not be surprised to see this team start to put it together, keep playing the keep playing the defense that we're playing, tight tightening up a little bit. The biggest theme that that I I I can see is that we don't catch a rhythm on offense. So it's real simple. The best way to catch rhythm on offense is is to play to play and not to think. And with 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 our offense that we're running it's like everyone's standing around watching the guy with the ball. I mean, we got to get away from that. And when we did that against Florida State, when we were getting our asses handed to us, um, and we just pushed pushed tempo, and we're aggressive and let let the game kind of basically just be aggressive and see see what the defense did, and then uh, then adjust in, instead of running this horrible offense. I I just, I just cannot emphasize enough how bad our offense is. I. I don't know if it's the fact that we have a lot of guys who are not above average passers, but when you look at Dolage and the back doors, I, I, I think that's the key to, to getting Hughes going because they are overplaying Hughes for the shot. They they need to run more of those back doors with, with Dolage run, running the point forward, point center, and, and dumping it down lows to Hughes. Let, let him get a couple baskets and run it that way. But when we are constantly running our offense through Tyus, whether he has a ball in his hand or Frank brings it up and then hands it to, to Tyus, basically Tyus in the half court does not share the ball very well. He has on slight occasion from time to time, but he is actually shown a little bit more propensity to share the ball in transition when when the defense really focuses on him and he's got guys running the floor. And I, I, I just think problem is Frank he is not a point guard who can push tempo but let's face it can you imagine Dolage and Bursett filling the lanes and even Sidibe or or even don't even play a center and now you're looking at Hughes running the floor with I think the best transition team that we can have is probably Jalen Carey at the one um, because he obviously can't he can't run an offense and if he's got other guys out there who can help him with passing and ball handling and playmaking, maybe he'd actually be decent. Um, but obviously Frank's going to get the majority of the minutes because Jalen has lost all his confidence, and and that's another big big picture topic. Bayheim with his with his captain hook mentality, you know, he buried Terrence. Um, well, Terrence Roberts probably too, but I was thinking Tyler Roberson. I mean, Roberson played played terrible, but the job of a coach is to instill confidence in your players. No, no matter what, you you have to do it, and you have to motivate them. And I mean, Jerry McNamara, go go back to that. He said that the reason why he had such a great Big East tournament was was because Beheim stuck up for him, had the confidence in him, and he didn't want to let him down. I don't know if. You can expect that type of relationship between every player and coach because that was a special relationship, and, and that's why GMAX on, on the coaching staff. Um, so, for me, what I want to see is, and it's not easy, trust me. As the fans know, same things goes for the coaches. The coaches put in 
much more time and effort, hopefully, than the fans to get this team going. But I don't know. I, I mean, several fans have said to me that they could not believe how apathetic coach was during the game against NC State and, and, and even after the game. I just want to hear one one time him take the responsibility and say my my game plan sucked. They shredded the zone or we couldn't score against their defense. We knew what kind of defense they were going to play and we didn't run the right offense and really just take some take some responsibility and put some of the onus on him, but he'll never do it. He won't do it and people will defend it fine. I don't like it. I think it's tasteless. I think it's cheesy and it's not a good look. And hopefully we can just start start talking about some positive wins and the dome rocking like like I know it can. But um, I'll be very curious to see what type of atmosphere we have if we get off to a bad start against Louisville Wednesday night. Um, last, last thought on that game. To me, the keys to that game are simple. You got to get um, you got to get on the boards. You have to. You have to get the second chance points. That's what this team's been missing lately. You have to make your free throws and don't turn the ball over. Because when you turn the ball over, now Louisville's not going against your zone. And they're not one of these teams that have multiple, multiple three-point shooters. And it's a give and take. If they're putting that extra shooter on the floor to beat the zone, now that's one extra uh, guy to give us havoc with their defense. Or one extra guy to protect the paint and crash the boards. Or... One extra playmaker or an extra ball handler because Louisville has a couple guys who are, you know, the typical guys who come in and can can hit four or five threes, but they're not running their offense, they're not driving to the hole, and they're not good defensive players. So that's the key to that game is to really make Louisville score against our zone. Um, Nora is a big concern for me. He can shoot over the top of the zone. Um, he's really probably the most improved player in the league, and he's their best player. So we'll, we'll uh, maybe hit up another pod between now and then. But for now, just just want to say the season's been a big roller coaster, and it's easy to get suck, sucked into it. But our numbers are pretty good. There's no doubt about it. We are still in position to make the tournament. There's even less less doubt. Everybody knows that the back end of the schedule is loaded, and that gives you the opportunity to get some wins. And if you lose, it doesn't really hurt you. But if we keep getting smoked by 15, 20 points, it will bury this team's confidence and it will hurt us. So let's just come out, play strong, steal a win, and, and then build on it from there. The goal would be to try to either finish the season strong enough to try to get in that 6-7 slot. Um, the 8-9 game would be a disaster nightmare. Um, I would rather falter a little bit and teeter around that 10 seed and avoid um, and avoid a team like a Kentucky who's going to be probably a 1 seed or Duke or Virginia um, and try to try to draw or Gonzaga and, and try to get a second round um, matchup against a team that you can actually match up pretty well against that doesn't have multiple bigs like Gonzaga or um, four pros like Duke or a team like Virginia that's going to be tough, uh, you know, and that's familiar with you. You'd rather play a team in that second round because to me, if you're Syracuse and you make the you make the tournament, you damn well better win that first round game. 
I don't care if it's an 8-9. I don't care if, if it's a 6 and you're an 11. You go out there with a coach that's been in this for 40 years and an experienced team going up against a team that there's no chance has that experience that you do in the tournament. Especially in the first round if they're a 6 seed or a 7 seed or an 8 seed or a 9 seed or a 10 seed or an 11 seed. They're not going to have the type of experience that you have. You go out there and you win that first round game. That's all I got for now. Hopefully in another month, this is what we are talking about. And we're not talking about one of the most epic collapses in, in, in the history of Syracuse basketball. Although there has been seasons that, that this has happened before where we were in line to make the tournament with a lot less talent than we have this year. But then you have guys like James Theus and years like that where you, you lose four home games and you lost to Boston College at home and you lost to Georgetown. I do not want to be talking about um, fin- finishing even worse at home. We've, we've had enough losses at home. We're probably going to drop one or two more, but let's steal a couple home wins. Um, beat Wake Forest on the road, go to Charlotte, and I can't even project who we would play in, in that first round. It could be a team like Pittsburgh. It could be a team, I mean, who, who else might it be? Depending on if we end up like 7th or 8th, Could we'll probably avoid Virginia Tech or Florida State. Uh, could be a team like Notre Dame or Miami. There's just so much um, to be determined at this point in time. You take it game by game. Hopefully you compete against Louisville, and there really is no moral victories um, because if you drop another one, you're still going to have that same feeling even if you play well. And um, I might be doing a little bit of a preview of that Louisville game Wednesday night.